God's Word this morning to Luke chapter 16. If you're visiting with us, we extend welcome to you. And uh, just to say that we are uh, working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we are in chapter 16 this morning. Perhaps you're watching online. We welcome you as well to hear God's Word and to worship with us as we continue to see how Jesus teaches, what he says as he's set his sights upon Jerusalem. He's going there. He knows he must go to Jerusalem, that he must uh, give up his life and die. And he continues to teach and instruct. And this morning, he's teaching on possessions and money, not a favorite topic necessarily, unless we think we're getting more of it. Then we seem to be very attentive. But we are to be listening carefully as to what God says regarding possessions, how we are to use that which God has entrusted to us. How are we stewarding that? God's, uh, Jesus speaks a lot about this particular topic. In this chapter, it's a very challenging parable. There's been a lot of ink spilled over the interpretation of the details, and after working through the text, finding it quite challenging, I was comforted to see that Every commentator I referenced said how hard it was to understand some of Jesus' words here. And I thought, well, okay, then it's not just me. Um, So we want this morning to to look at the the parable in in something of a a summary. We're going to summarize the traditional understanding of this this parable and then look at the simple lesson of the parable, which has to do with how we relate to those things which God has entrusted to us. Luke chapter 16, we'll read the first 15 verses. This is the word of God. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50 Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will, in, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now, uh, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. 
And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So far the reading of God's own holy word. Friends, some make a connection between chapters 15 and 16. We're trying to figure out how Luke organizes his gospel. Some make the connection that chapter 15 is about how to respond or rather how not to respond towards people, wrong attitudes towards people. Then in chapter 16 is talking about wrong attitudes toward possessions. Might be a loose connection. I'm not sure that it's it's something that we 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 have to see there in order to understand Luke's organization of his gospel. But it, it there certainly is a a wrong attitude in many that are around Jesus at the time. And as he's teaching, as he goes to the cross, he he uh, uh, emphasizes the or makes him a point on a lot of important things. Uh, before his death, and one of those is possessions. The whole chapter appears to be uh, held together around that theme of riches or funds. We have this dishonest manager mishandling the payments coming to his master in the first verses. Then Luke describes the Pharisees as lovers of money, verse 14, and then the chapter goes on to talk about a rich man who's self-absorbed in his luxury in those verses we didn't read this morning. But how should we understand this parable? Well, there are some difficulties uh, to understanding it. Perhaps the biggest is, on first read, Jesus seems to be encouraging greedy pursuit of selfish gain and unethical business practices. Obviously, he would not do that. So we need to look more deeply and to see just exactly what he's saying. Remember last week what we said, the people that were coming to him were the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees. So he's got a mixed uh, audience here, if you will. He has his disciples and there are those also who are coming near to hear what he has to say. And we, might, we would not be surprised to think that tax collectors may not want to hear what Jesus has to say about how they were to look at money. Because they were often wealthy and they were often uh, mishandling. They were often dishonest in the way that they uh, got their money and how they used their money. Jesus was speaking about that. They were attracted to him and to his wisdom, though they certainly would have listened closely to spiritual instruction on how to handle money. And he's using uh, scenarios that they would envision, that they would understand, dishonest managers and masters who are asking others to take care of their money uh, for them. And this, this picture is then something they would have understood. Jesus tells them a story about a business relationship that's gone bad. A manager was wasting his, his master's possessions. That Greek word there in the opening verse, wasting his possessions, is the same word that's used in the last chapter for the the uh, young son who squandered his possessions. So squandering, wasting, some some notion of, of abuse or misuse, rather, of the funds. We don't know exactly what he was doing, uh, but he's, he's mishandling these funds. And the master wants him to turn over the books to determine the validity of the accusations against him, that he was wasting these possessions and these... Accusations were true because the dishonest manager gets a sick feeling in his stomach and says, I've got to do something because I'm 
I'm going to be losing my job. The, 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 what, what is said about me is true. And he says, but I'm too proud to beg and, and too weak to dig. So he came up with a plan. He went to those debtors. And we only have two, ex- two debtors here. There's probably many. But just as an example, what he did, he, two uh, cases are given to us here where he slashes their, the amount that they owe so that he might gain favorable opinion with them so that when he is unemployed, he might be received in their houses or, or shown kindness. Today, he probably would be convicted of financial fraud. We don't have to look too far back in our history in this country like last week to see banking failures, to see financial fraud, to know about money and how we mishandle it and how we often abuse position. The master heard what he had done. And here is the first surprising thing that Jesus says. The master says he commends him as to his, on his shrewdness. Now, that put me back for a time as I was thinking about it over and over and thinking, well, how am I going to preach that? How am I going to look at that particular set of, of words? Well, Jesus is not praising the man. We know that much. He calls him a dishonest manager. He's being dishonest. Then he makes this, but he makes this comment at the end of verse 8. He says, The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So he says, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And then Jesus goes on, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Well, this is why you go to seminary, right? Take Greek and find out what the original says so you can clear it all up. Unfortunately, that Greek word is just what it is in the English. Shrewd, wise. He, he's commending him for the way he, he worked, the way he, he got these debtors to be indebted to him, as it were, even while the master was put in his place, not able to come back and change those numbers without receiving great complaint from his debtors. So he's there simply saying to the man, this one truly is shrewd. He's wise. Well, Phil Riken says in his commentary, Jesus was not coming out in favor of fraud or telling us it is right to cheat people. He was not saying that dishonesty is the best policy. He was giving an example of how clever Worldly people can be when they act in their own best interest. And he uses this story then to give some practical advice on how we relate to or how we use money and possessions, as we're going to see. Remember this audience as he has tax collectors with him, the Pharisees are listening. And yet he teaches the same thing he's always been teaching. What does he say elsewhere? Earlier in Luke chapter 12, he says this, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And that's the same lesson that he's giving here. He's saying the pursuit of material wealth is not what is going to bring you more life. More money does not mean you're more alive. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
But he says this, the sons of the world can teach us something. They're preparing for the future. They're thinking about the future. And we ought to be thinking about the future as well. They work to gain what they hope would give them sure footing, namely more of the same, more material wealth. We are to be working to gain that which is not taken away from us in the future. Those attributes, that character, to be rich towards God. Very often we're not preparing for the future, preparing for eternity. We're looking much like those around us, trying to stockpile and to mound up the wealth and to hide it and to protect it. The Pharisees were doing this. Luke says of them in verse 14 that they're lovers of money. Lovers of money. Not only do they like best place in the synagogue, as we've seen in weeks past, like to to be greeted with their titles and their official uh, uh, accolades, but they like money. They want the material benefit as well. Jesus says this in verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Another challenging statement from Jesus. The words unrighteous mammon in the original are translated in other translations as worldly wealth. Jesus is saying, use worldly wealth, don't be possessed by it. Use it, don't be possessed by it. Wealth is not to be stockpiled because it cannot get you into heaven. It will fail in the day of one's death, he says in verse 9. Now, we all need to hear this, not just the tax collectors, not just those that we say, well, when I hear this story about those who stockpile wealth, I know exactly who Jesus is talking about. We all need to hear this. He's saying it not just to the tax collectors, but to his own disciples, to the Pharisees. He says, beware of covetousness. Again, Luke 12 comes to mind. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's possible to live for wealth no matter what confession we make. One commentator says, you can use money or be consumed by getting more of it. When money becomes your life, you never think you have enough. And that's biblical. That has a ring to it, doesn't it? Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, he who loves money never has money enough. Came across an illustration of that this week. There was an NBA basketball player some years ago for a team that I followed, and uh, I don't anymore, but uh, he was, they were talking about a, a year contract for him, and he was, he was disgusted with this contract. He, wasn't, he was not happy. He was not going to play for this team. And, and uh, uh, the, they, they asked him well, why, and he says, well, it's not enough. And the year contract was for $14.6 million dollars. And, they, and, and the man speaking to him asks the question, well, don't you think you should try to help your team win the NBA championship first and then worry about getting a better contract? And he responded this way, quote, why would I want to help a title? They're not doing anything for me. I'm at risk. I have a lot of risk here. I got my family to feed, unquote. $14.6 million. Well, I don't think it's too hard to see that that's not a very realistic view of things unless you're living well above 
the average means. But when money, money becomes your life, you never think you have enough. Now, we should work hard and we should save for those situations that we need to be ready for. We should work hard and be content with what we've received. And we should use what God has given us for good to help others and not to waste it as this man was accused of doing or was seen to be doing verse 1 of our passage. The main thrust of the parable is Jesus' teaching on giving help to others, not not, uh, uh, abusing wealth or wasting possessions but to be giving help. He goes on to say that how we steward what we are given says something about us and our character. That's, just, that's another application, another point that he says, uh, that he makes. What is, uh, what is my relationship to my possessions? How does my character, how is my character revealed in the way I relate to my possessions? Then verse 10, he says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So you see, whenever we say to ourselves, well, if I have more, when I get more money, then I'll start giving, then we've we've shown that we have some notion that there has to be a certain amount before I can obey God. There has to be a certain level of what we would call prosperity, I guess, before I'm willing to obey isn't that true? Isn't that how we oftentimes work in, 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 in not just in our financial lives, but in other parts of our lives? We say, well, I'll obey the Lord if he does this, or, or yeah, I'll, I'll start obeying when I have what they have, or oh yeah, sure, I would obey if I had that, or if I could go there, if I could do those things. But does, does God say that obedience is situational, that it's circumstantial? He doesn't. He says, obey from the heart. In all things. And here, God is saying that to us. And Jesus says it this way, be faithful with the little that you have. Not everyone can give the same, but everyone can give some. Now, it may not be all in the area of finance. This particular passage speaks to that. But it, maybe it's in your talents. Maybe it's in your time. Maybe it's in uh, something else that the Lord has given you to steward. We'll talk about that a bit more in just, just a few moments. But... Uh, we have to recognize that there is no limit to the amount of things that we can give to. There's church budget, there's missions, there's capital campaigns, there's fundraisers. There's an, there isn't an infinite supply to meet all the need. What we're called to do is to give proportionally with what we have. Give as we can. We're not closer to God the more we give. We understand, however, the heart of God when it is our desire to give gratefully as we're able. God is infinite. We're not. He understands that. He's not saying, spend yourself poor. But he's saying, what is your relationship to that material, material, uh, those material possessions that you have? God gives, so we give as demonstration that God lives in us. He is our life. Our life is not those things which he has given to us. You can imagine the Pharisees listening and they're grumbling again. They're complaining. They're ridiculing him. Because as we saw with the parable of the Good Samaritan, they don't want to help any of, anyone that they feel is unworthy. And they had all kinds of barriers and, and, and uh, offenses as to who they should help and, 
and who they shouldn't help. You can imagine the same would be true in the area of what they possessed and their finances, what they thought they should receive as Israel's religious teachers and what they ought to give, which is very little. And Jesus' statement that is helpful in this context is found in Luke 12. I've said it already. That is where to be rich towards God. You remember that man who built those, tore down his barns and built bigger ones and said, ah, eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord says, tonight your soul will be required of you. Or if you're not rich toward God, those possessions aren't going to save you, aren't going to help you. It doesn't mean you're more alive. It means you're more enslaved if that is your focus. We will give a reckoning for what we did with what we had in that final day. Children, I'm always encouraged when you come with Offerings, whether that's for Sunday school causes or maybe for church offering, to early on think about, well, if I receive, then I want to tithe. I want to give to God, recognizing that I trust him, that he will provide for me. There are many, many stories of those whom God has used mightily that begin with that idea of a very humble beginning, just the the idea that, I want to give to the Lord so that he can be honored and glorified in my life. We're to be faithful, even when these things are seemingly insignificant, to offer up what little we have that God might multiply it. Faithfulness in the use of material possessions is of great importance. Not that money is God's only way of working, nor even his primary way, but how we possess it shows whether or not God lives or possesses us. How we handle it reveals our hearts. Look at verses 11 and 12. There, Jesus speaking again. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, the worldly wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Worldly wealth is that seen as a little thing to God. He doesn't need it to do his work, but it is that one of those little things where God calls us to be faithful in our everyday living. One of those little areas where we show everyday faithfulness. If we live faithfully here with God's glory in view, then we'll be entrusted with true riches, namely the treasures of heaven. If you've not been faithful in the worldly wealth, who will entrust you those heavenly riches. If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, namely God's, we will give you that which is your own. We will receive, in the end, either blessing from God, gracious gifts, or our just due, which is condemnation. Will we be the one who cares for the least of these, as Jesus states it in his parable there in Matthew 25? And like this parable, we're looking after what belongs to our master. That's where we can see ourselves here. We're looking after what belongs to our master. If we waste it, we show that we are not ready to receive heavenly blessing, which is promised to those in Christ. We cannot be faithful in worldly wealth. We show that we cannot be entrusted with heavenly riches. If earthly possessions are our master, then heaven will not be our home. Now, we don't want to recognize it. We don't want to say that we're saved by how we use our money, but it is an indicator of what our, where our faith is, where our trust is. 
Judas Iscariot is often used to illustrate the point here. Before he was a betrayer, before he rejected God, he was a thief. He was keeping for himself, John 12, verse 6 tells us. And it was his life. Now, it doesn't mean we can never spend anything on ourselves or on the people we love. Indeed, there are responsibilities and, and privileges in that way. Our own needs, the needs of people around us and our care are part of what God is doing in the world. doesn't mean that Christians can never be wealthy. God can use the generosity of those who have been richly blessed to accomplish much. But Jesus means that we must surrender everything that we have to God. So how do we begin in giving? Well, can't, we're not going to be looking at tithing this morning, but that's what we see throughout the scriptures. A good place to start is with the tithe. A tithe of what we, we gain. And the statistics on tithing are not good. Even amongst evangelicals, the average evangelical tithes, according to accounts, less than 2% of their income. And we think, wow, what a, what a work the church could do if God's people trusted God and gave 10% and more as God worked in their hearts. This is not a sermon to plea, as a plea for money, but as a recognition that God calls us to be generous with what he has given to us. To be thoughtful. I often pray that. Lord, make me generous. Make me cheerful. For God loves a cheerful giver, not one who simply says, did I meet the 10%? Did I meet that, that marker? Then I'm good. But rather, do I hear of need and want to give as I'm able? And those one day, in, and then one day in glory, will hear of those who were affected. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. The commentators are, are mixed as to what that means, but many of them will say that when our monies go out and, and support causes for Bible translation or for help in, around the world, one day we'll hear about that in glory as to how those funds were used, though we don't always know in this life how they were affecting others for eternal good. And I think that that's... Uh, I think that's a right way of understanding Jesus' words here. We don't know always what our giving does, but one day we'll see what God has done with our generous and cheerful giving. As I said earlier, faithful in the little things doesn't necessarily mean only monetary. It can mean being faithful as a student in school. It can be faithful in the home as husband or wife. Be faithful as a single person. Be faithful in Obedience to God in whatever capacity. These things don't sound spiritual, but faithfulness in these everyday things speaks volumes about our hearts. What's in our hearts? Are we rich towards God? And Jesus then gets to the point after telling this parable in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus waits to the end. He wants to pull everyone in to this parable. And then he says to them, you cannot serve God and money. Now, 
All of what Jesus says here is not bent, cannot be bent to say that he's a killjoy, doesn't want us to enjoy life. But it is interesting to note that as he's marching to the cross, he does bring up the issue of finances. Of all the things he could have talked about as he's thinking about his imminent death, he says, there's one thing that I'm seeing as I look around, and that is how the people are possessed by their possessions rather than possessing their possessions so that my father might be glorified. It's an, it's an important point. It's made that, more, that much more powerfully when we think about the fact that these are some of the final words that he's giving, some of the final teaching that he's giving as he prepares to go to the cross. He says, I want you to be prepared for eternity. Don't think only about now. He doesn't want us to forget that this life is but a small prelude to eternity. Then he says this to the Pharisees who are ridiculing him. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. They were justifying themselves by their laws, by what they were doing, by their giving, that it was just in keeping the right in line with the religious level of giving and all of the rest. They would have all the answers and all of the statistics to back them up to say, well, we've met the law And yet their hearts, their hearts were not rich towards God, not loving towards God and others. They were rather looking for man's praise at their careful and calculated living. What is exalted among men, Jesus says, is an abomination in the sight of God. Neither possessions nor a position are something for us to boast in. Both are given. We're called to be thankful and faithful with them. While we live, we're to be preparing for eternity. That's our destination. The one who loves money will never have money enough. The one who loves the Lord has all he needs. In fact, as we heard this week from Psalm 16 in the funeral that was held here, the psalmist says this, that our coming blessing is far greater than anything on this earth. He says this in the close of Psalm 16, You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is what God wants to give to us. And he wants us to prepare for that by giving away that we might receive understanding how much we've been given. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words about possessions. For it is very easy for us to get caught up in possessing, having, accumulating. Lord, we pray that what you have entrusted to us, that which is not ours, which is not, but is another's, as Jesus says, namely yours, that we would use that in service. We would want to give to enrich the lives of those around us, that we would do so cheerfully and generously. Lord, help us to have hearts like that. And we give thanks and we marvel at the way that you give to us over and over, day after day. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. When we think about that, we know that our hearts need to continually be changed. 
We ask that you would do that in us. We look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our wealth, our riches, the one who is our salvation, our very righteousness, that we might enter into glory and know that great and wondrous pleasure and banquet coming, those riches beyond comprehension. We ask that you would hear us in all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.